right, folks, welcome back to another edition of Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball podcast. Things are really good right now around Chicago Cubs baseball, so we've got a ton to talk about. Cubs just wrapped up a 5-1 and homestand. They're playing their best baseball of the year as they embark on a trip out west to San Francisco and San Diego. So a whole lot to get to tonight. We'll talk about the Cubs homestand. We'll talk about some players who have stepped up, uh, some good injury news for the Cubs, a couple key players coming back here over the next couple of days we have got some trivia coming up before the end of today's show so a whole lot of good stuff for you a a quick reminder too if you are out there on twitter please give us a follow at btyl podcast lots of good stuff out there on the internet but we got jeremy specter tonight we have got randall j sanders i'm ronan o'shea and and gentlemen we got some real good cubs baseball right now this is as fun as it gets when they open the month of may The Cubs were dead last in the National League Central, five games out of first place. Flash forward to June 1st, the Cubs are half a game up, another win today. Randall, the Cardinals getting smoked right now at Chavez Ravine. This is real good stuff for Cubs baseball right now. It's been a lot of fun over the last week since the last time we did this. Well, this is the pinnacle. You're winning. The the team that is now chasing you is losing. You you can't ask for a whole lot more. Your, Your team's doing everything right. You know, I hope this isn't the peak of the season. I hope it keeps getting better from here. But for right now, this is pretty good. Jeremy, what's better than this? Cubs are rolling. Uh, Not much. I can't think of much better than this. Uh, You know, you get a team like the Padres coming in there. They're, you know, off. They just had a uh, kind of a big, I feel like they had a couple big wins in Houston. They had like their 9-0 homestand, although they did get swept in Milwaukee. But like they come in and then, you know, they're not, you know, coming off in, struggling i don't think so and you know you 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 take it to them by game one game three you kind of take it to them a little bit and then game two you win a four three close one uh and it's just it's just nice and it's nice to see on game one you you're basically starting like the iowa cubs and you're still hitting them you're hitting them cole stewart comes in i mean we'll talk about later but you know pitches five innings and so i can't I can't think of anything better. Like the last month, they're 22 and nine since the uh, April 28th I saw. So like that, it's just crazy how well they've been playing. And, you know, as an optimist, even I didn't think they'd be nine games over on June 2nd. Yeah. This has been awesome. It's been a complete 180 from where we were at at the start of the month of May. So a lot to talk about. We will certainly break down that series, the sweep against the Padres, which wrapped up today. Um, Also the series victory over Cincinnati. But before that, I want to tease one more thing coming up. I mentioned trivia a little bit later in the hour here. This is a very important show for us, gentlemen. Jeremy Randall, this is behind the yellow line number 21. So we're going to pay tribute to one of the all-time greats, Sammy Sosa, Mr. 21. That's going to be driving our trivia section. We'll bring that home at the end of today's podcast. So a little bit of a teaser there, something to look forward to. Um, But let's stay with this current team. Well, I was just going to say, let's make sure we get Jason Marquis, Tyler Colvin. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. You got to make sure we all in. Terrible. Terrible. It's all Sammy today. We're going to have a lot of fun with that. Um, but this team, as we mentioned, has been a lot of fun here. Uh, a couple numbers just to throw out there as we as we get into this conversation. Mentioned the Cubs have won nine of their last 10. They've won five consecutive series. And then you get into, yes, it's still early in the year. We got a long way to go. But playing quality opponents, the Chicago Cubs this year against the Los Angeles Dodgers, the defending World Series champions, the first place New York Mets, San Diego Padres, a team that many think could win the pennant. 
Cubs this year, 9-0 and against those teams, throwing the Cardinals, who will be one of the Cubs' top contenders to win the division title here, 11-1 and against those four teams. So this is not an example of the Cubs just kind of beating up on the Pirates and bottom feeders in the National League, Jeremy. The Cubs are beating the best teams in the National League, and at this point, they're showing themselves to be contenders here in the National League. Definitely. And, you know, you, you could point out that those nine, all nine of those wins came at Wrigley, you know, so you, you'd like to see him do it on the road a little bit as well. But, uh, I, I, you know, you can't you can't knock the Cubs for being like, oh, they're only beating the Pirates. They're only beating, you know, like the Reds or something. All the Reds got off to a hot start. We all know um, they they faced good teams so far and they've played and they've beaten them. Uh, no, no blemishes, really. Uh, it's going to be a, a tough month. We all know that because they have a lot of these good teams, uh, you know, stacked up, ready to go to play them. And but you had the Padres. They, you know, you thought that would be the start of a tough month. And what did the Cubs do? They won all three. So it, it's nice to see, and it's nice to see the all you know guys producing. And even with all the injuries the Cubs have had, players have been coming in behind and stepping up and stepping up even more. You know, and Matt Duffy goes on the IL, and we're all Patrick Wisdom comes in. He hit what four homers or he would have had a homer that one night against Cincinnati where he hit it into the wind. So it's like, he's hitting the ball hard. So it's crazy to see. Yeah. You know, you, you don't apologize for who you play and when you play them, the Padres are a little bit banged up right now, uh, especially after today's game, which, you know, we'll get into uh, a little bit later on, but you, you have to beat who's in front of you. And not only are the Cubs doing that, but who's in front of them happen to be some pretty decent teams. And right now they're proving themselves. So as Jeremy said, June is going to be a difficult month. They're en route to San Francisco and San Diego. Another series against the Cardinals. You're going to have to deal with the Mets and the Dodgers again. And this is going to be the proving ground. We've been talking for months now about how the, where the Cubs are at this point in the season is going to determine the trajectory of this roster, whether pieces are sold off or whether they add. And right now the Cubs are doing everything possible to make that as difficult of a decision as possible for Jed Hoyer. And you can't ask them to do anything more than they've already done. Yeah. And, and I, uh, I just, just want to say, I see a lot of people talking about how the Padres are banged up right now. And I know Tatis left the game early in game two, though we did play what half the game and they had the injuries today, but a lot of like the Cubs are one of the most banged up teams in yep. the league. So like I see a lot of excuse making for the Padres, but I, the Cubs, I mean, how many guys we got 10 guys on the IL. You're both yep. like Marisnik Hayward, like main contributors, Trevor Williams gets an appendix, you know, taken out right before the series. This is a start. It's like Bodie, like, I, you know, everybody's got injuries. The entire outfield has spent time on the injured list, second base on the injured list. Rizzo, didn't go on the injured list, but he didn't play the last week until getting back in the lineup yesterday. So injuries all over the place. It's now beginning to impact the pitching staff, something that has largely been injury free this year. Um, but it's been a great week. So let's start. We recorded last Friday. I had just gotten back from Wrigley Field. The Cubs uh, behind Albert Alzelay and a horribly blustery, cold, wintry day at Wrigley Field beat the Reds to take game one of the weekend series one to nothing. Jeremy and I, you were, uh, and I were out at the ballpark on Saturday, much better effort for the Chicago Cubs in a 10 to two win. Davies was all right. Gave him five innings for, I think his fourth, maybe his fifth consecutive outing with at least five innings on the pitcher's mound, but the offense picking things up in that ball game uh, before the loss in the finale Sunday, five to one still, 
you're not going to sweep everybody to beat the Reds two out of three at Wrigley Field, Randall, you take that every time. And in this case, it was good enough to get the homestand started with a series win. Absolutely. The Reds are a dangerous offensive team. Despite their pitching was, they still rank very highly in the NL in runs scored. And for the most part, the Cubs kept them quiet. And that's, that's how you win. That's how you win. You beat their pitching, you keep their offense off the scoreboard, and you'll, you'll come away with two out of three every time. And like you said, you'll take that. You're not going to sweep every series as much as I would like that. So Joe Madden had his saying, two out of three ain't bad. Uh, when you can get that done, it, it's, it's everything you would want, especially because this Reds team is not terribly changed from the same Reds team that's given the Cubs fits the last few seasons. So it's good to see the Cubs handle this team and keep putting, putting the wins in the book where they can. That brought the Padres into town and interesting there, San Diego came to Wrigley field on Monday, start of the holiday and the end of the homestand here with the best record in major league baseball. So this was the top team coming into Wrigley field. What do the Cubs do? Well, they win Monday, the afternoon, the matinee holiday game. Tuesday night, Jeremy, you and I out there, I mentioned that because a lot to talk about the ballpark here. We'll get to that in a minute. And then today, the sweep again behind Adbert, a 6-1 victory for the Cubs. Anthony Rizzo, just his second game back with a clutch two-run base hit to give the Cubs the lead for good today. We're seeing everybody contributing. That's been kind of the theme here. And to sweep away the Padres, that just exceeds expectations at this point in time. Yeah, being, as I said, being the Padres, like, I, you know, I, I was going into it. I was hoping for one out of three almost. And we, to get a sweep is just insane, especially with the lineup they put out on a Monday and, and with Cole Stewart out there, you know, uh, you're getting, you're getting contributed. And it's like, you're seeing guys like Sergio Alcantara and Patrick Wisdom and they're coming in and they've been hitting balls hard. It's not like they've had weak contact. They've been hitting balls hard when they came in. Cole Stewart got a lot of ground balls. I mean, that's basically what he was doing. Uh, I, I mean, you know, I, I don't know how long, how sustainable it is, but it's nice to see another guy coming in. And then the bullpen has been great. I mean, we went to the game on Saturday. They had a little stumble there with Rex brothers coming in and they gave up two runs. And then, then the Cubs went off and scored eight more over like the last four innings. But uh, the bullpen has been great the last couple of days. Tommy Nance has been nasty. Uh, uh, Craig Kimbrell, we went to the game yesterday and Craig Kimbrell was filthy, like absolutely nasty. It was, mm-hmm ridiculous i'd never seen like even i was holding my breath a little bit every time craig kribble comes in and he's just been lights out nasty so it's 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 a wonderful thing to see where you see everybody coming in the bullpen stepping up everybody playing the pitching staff you know the uh, the rotation has their issues a little bit but everybody else seems to be on you know high gear peak performance so we've been able to deal with it kimbrell last night in game two of the padres series that was easily one of the best innings we've seen him throw as a member of the Chicago Cubs. He was spotting 97, 98, 99, his first strikeout of the inning, 99 on the black Jim Deshays could just sit there and giggle in that way that he does. And he's throwing that knuckle curveball for strikes and getting swings and misses on it. Last night was easily the best inning we've seen out of him as a member of the Cubs. Uh, Jeremy, I was in the same boat as you when they, they, put the first win in the book on Memorial day. I said, you know, that's great. You're not going to get swept now. And then they win last night. And I say, this is fantastic. You've already taken the series against a very good team and to see them sweep today. It's you you can't ask for a whole lot more out of the series and the Cubs probably owe the Astros, you know, like a cookie basket or something because the Padres and Astros played uh, 
two extra inning games in their prior weekend series, Friday night and Saturday night. And then the Astros actually beat the Padres in the Sunday game. So the Cubs probably owe the Astros a little bit of a thank you, especially because in that Sunday game, Blake Snell came out of the game after a very short outing and they had to use Musgrove uh, in extended relief, which probably set their pitching staff back quite a bit. So all the stars were aligned for the Padres to come here a little bit tired, a little bit overworked, and the Cubs took advantage and they took care of business. Jeremy, I, I was thinking last night, because it was phenomenal what Kimbrell did. He came in and he completely dominated to bring that game home. And I was thinking, you and I have seen some very good, like, single-game relief appearances with the Cubs over the years. Troy Hawkins, September 11, 2004, we saw him strike out the side in the ninth inning on nine pitches against the Marlins. Really hard to top that. But I thought last Craig night, was going to do it last night. Yeah, I, I did too. Yeah, I was mad at Ayasonia when he didn't call that uh, check swing on Marcano, I think, because I, I, that screwed it up. I thought he was going to do it. Well, you mentioned too a minute ago, Patrick Wisdom, and I wanted to go back to him for a minute because it's just been amazing watching what he's done here over the last week. This is a guy who spent nine years in the minors. He's 29 years old. He's only appeared in 39 big league games before this year. Cup of coffee with the Cardinals, a smaller cup of coffee with the Rangers a couple of years ago. He's got 134 minor league home runs. Randall, 230 home run seasons in AAA. Granted, it came with the new ball. We know it carries more. Probably added a couple of home runs there. This is a guy with legitimate power, though. And to see someone like that who spent most of his, the overwhelming majority of his professional career struggling, coiling in the minor leagues, from to come up to Wrigley Field in rowdy environments and just crush the ball out of the ballpark. That's as fun as it gets. It's really cool and rewarding to see guys like that have success at the big league level. Absolutely. You never want to necessarily anoint a guy after this small of a sample size. Not that we are, but when there are underlying numbers and underlying metrics that say there might be something there, like, as you mentioned, uh, very consistent power numbers in the minor leagues, you're more than willing to, to dream on a guy and say, maybe he's unlocked something. Maybe the organization has worked with him in such a way as to improve something. And you're, you're willing to, to kind of go out there on a limb and say, maybe this guy might have a spot on this roster. And until Patrick wisdom is no longer hitting or until the Cubs get healthy enough that he's not in the lineup every day, you're losing nothing by starting him. And hopefully he continues to produce because as you said, it's a great story. It seems like the Cubs so often are on the outside looking in on these great story guys, the guys who come out of nowhere and be productive this year. They're the beneficiary of a good handful of them. Well, I'm certain Randall, if wisdom was on any other team and he's already been a Cardinal, you'd yeah, absolutely the hate the Cardinal. guy. Well, yes. totally. But you know, the guy like this comes up, he's doing magical things. Uh, Jeremy, you think Matt Duffy's sweating a little bit. Seeing That's what wisdom. I've been thinking. Like uh, the other day, like, uh, you know, Matt Duffy, you know, he doesn't have the power. He's got the contact, though. But Patrick Wisdom is coming in and hitting everything hard. You know, he's going to steal a guy's job. Uh, the thing about Patrick Wisdom, I assume, I don't really know a super a lot about Patrick Wisdom. I assume he's not a great defensive third baseman. I assume he's not a probably, he's probably a below average uh, defensive third baseman just based on the fact that he hasn't had many shots in the majors. I assume if he was like a solid or above average third baseman, he'd get more chances. And I also assume that he probably has some issues with uh, strikeouts. Um, but, you know, he's hit everything hard. That's the crazy thing is he's hit everything hard. And he's hit a lot of fastballs hard. So I'm assuming he's also not going to get a lot of fastballs uh, in the up coming up. So we'll have to see him adjust. 
But yeah, like Matt Duffy, if I'm on the IL, I go on the IL, and this guy Patrick Wisdom comes up, he starts hitting home runs left and right. It's like I want to come back as fast as possible because he might be stealing your job. Well, and and the Cubs have some guys coming back from injuries. Yeah, they did lose David Bodie. Unfortunately, Jeremy, we had a very clear view of him sliding into second base, and it was horrible watching David Bodie covering his face, walking off the field. His shoulder clearly was not where it needed to be. A painful injury, and it's going to be an extended uh, IL stint for David Bodie at this time. But the Cubs have Jason Hayward and Marisnik rehabbing right now with the Iowa Cubs in Omaha with the expectation that they're going to rejoin the team tomorrow night in San Francisco. So I think it's safe to say Ortega may not be joining the Cubs in San Francisco when they head out to California tomorrow night. Or Nick Martini. Yeah, good call. In fact, those yeah. would be the two guys when Hayward and Marisnik come back here tomorrow night. Yeah, the two guys, you know, they've kind of come off the bench a little bit. They've done some things. Ortega hit a home run, um, but they haven't had huge contributions, I would say. So, like, getting Hayward and Marisnik back, you know, it, it, they're probably easy decisions to send back uh, yeah. Ortega and Martini. And, I, and I, it's always been kind of weird to me lately because Martini came up first. But it seems like Ortega's been getting a lot of playing time. So mm-hmm. I, that that just – juxtaposition has seemed kind of weird to me and important to note as uh the rehabbing players get their plate appearances in tonight's game at iowa uh alex cohen the fine voice of the iowa cubs noting that hayward made a diving catch in right field in tonight's game and suffered no ill effects and that's good to see if you're coming back from a hamstring injury you don't worry so much about guys uh whether they hit on these rehab assignments, you worry about whether they're healthy moving around okay. And if Hayward is playing his usual defensive prowess, again, that's a great sign. And that's going to make uh, the roster that's responsible for this great winning streak that's going to make them even stronger. You mentioned too, Cohen, uh, Indiana Hoosier. You know, so he is a fine guy, not an Illini like uh, some people in here. I got to say it now while we're, we're dropping in the Illini mention. Jeremy, let's just get it over with. Big moment for you today. Theo back at Wrigley Field, and he was wearing a hat that I know got your attention. Oh, yeah. I always love when I see Theo. He's always wearing that Pearl Jam hat. I've, it's crazy. And, and seeing with Steve Gleason, I was a little surprised, as I said, yeah. uh, that Eddie Vedder wasn't there, uh, you know, getting a nice shot in because, you know, Steve Gleason, big with Pearl Jam. But uh, I'm curious. I, w- I would like to know how many games Theo's been in attendance for. Yeah. Yeah, it was the first time that we've seen him on camera uh, hanging out in the crowd and um, really interesting day. We are going to talk about Lou Gehrig before we bring today's show home, uh, but a very nice tribute at the ballpark today. And it's great to see major league baseball honoring Lou Gehrig today on Lou Gehrig day. Um, But I do want to talk about just sort of the return to the ballpark here. We've all been to Wrigley field now this year. Friday was interesting in that it was my first time back in the ballpark since May of 2019, but it wasn't the typical Wrigley Field experience in that it was freezing cold and you just didn't get the enjoyment that we got maybe the last couple of days. Saturday, Jeremy, it was bedlam at Wrigley Field and in Wrigleyville. Coming out of that ballpark even and walking down Clark, sea of people, lines all the way out the door of all the bars and restaurants just an incredible scene and so fun to be back out there among people the energy in the ballpark over the last week has been incredible and this is only 60 percent capacity about twenty-five thousand fans or so the last couple of days at wrigley multiple stories players have been commenting on it the cubs social has been leaning into it we've probably all seen the video javi's in the batter's box the entire ballpark's chanting his name he launches the ball out uh to center field off the uh camera well in center field that's sammy sosa land in fact out there uh, above the juniper bushes 
this is awesome, guys. Being in Wrigley Field three times in the last week, I knew that was going to be special. But this fan base, there's just something different to it right now. And I really was feeling this the last couple of days. It's the sixth inning. There's no sign on the video board in the outfield saying two strike noise or cheer. Everybody's on their feet screaming. This is a fan base that's paying attention. They're aware of what's happening on the field, and it's a ton of fun to be back out there. I've just had an awesome time over the last week, really living at Wrigley Field and taking in all these wins. Well, who hasn't wanted to live at Wrigley Field? I think that'd be a lot of fun. My, my dream one day is to eat breakfast at Wrigley Field. I'd like to sit right under the press box, watch the sunrise over the lake, maybe a nice plate of eggs and bacon and sausage uh, sitting next to me. I'd like to do that someday. Ronan, you you said it as well as we can. All the broadcasters, the players, they're all so happy to have fans back in the ballpark. And the fans, I think, have a whole lot of pent-up energy from the last year that they are more than willing to, to get out uh, vocally and verbally at the ballpark. I know when the video boards went in some years ago, a lot of people, you included, Ronan, were a little mm -hmm. worried they were going to do what Dodger Stadium and the rest of the ballparks do, tell the fans to make noise and you know, bring in the electronic drums. I was very happy to see that they did not go that route once the video boards became active. And that's what sets Wrigley Field apart is you don't yep. need to tell people to make noise. You don't need to put on the, the, the noise-o-meter to get people out of their seats. Cub fans, like any fan base, we have our blemishes, we have our issues. But at Wrigley Field, you don't need to be told to make noise. The game will tell yep. you what you need to do when you need to do it. And that's one of the things I've always appreciated. One of the things I've always felt fortunate to be as a Cubs fan and have Wrigley Field be the home park is that there's, there's one thing we do particularly well, and that's get, get up and get loud. Mm -hmm. I, I've always felt, yeah, just me personally, just you know, from going to games, I've always been like, Whenever people get up with like two strikes or, you know, they're cheering, or whatever, I'm always, especially when the Cubs are at bat, I'm like, oh, like it's never going to end well. I feel like every time I go, it never ends well. It's everybody's cheering, they're chanting Javi, and it's a strikeout. You know, they get them on a slider away or something. I've always kind of felt that. So I've always been kind of like, you know, uh, I kind of against it, but whatever. But the atmosphere, I agree with you, it's been electric last. When Wilson hit that ball, that, yeah. I mean, off the bat, first of all, we, everybody knew that was gone. That was like, it was crazy. And when he hit it, it, the whole place was going nuts. You know, you got the snakes out eating in the bleachers. Uh, that's been bringing a lot of atmosphere because the bleachers have been going crazy. I feel like the last, especially when they had that fully vaccinated area uh, in the previous series, it felt like the, the bleachers were really kind of a crazy uh, area uh, underneath the scoreboard and then getting out in Wrigleyville, Wrigleyville. It's like, it's like almost normal out in Wrigleyville. Everybody's out in the bars. Everybody's out having a good time. The streets are shut down. They're walking down the street. It's, you know, it, it, it just felt good to be back in the ballpark last night. The boy was warm, you know, it was a nice night. So uh, it was a very good feeling. It, it was totally. And just taking in, you know, walking around the ballpark last night, Jeremy, before the game, you and I made a point, we went out of our way to go by the center field hand operated scoreboard because the Cubs flag was on top, meaning they were in first place. So we wanted to go and see and take that in. And we had a chance to hit a couple of different Wrigleyville establishments, patios, uh, lots of places to have a good time and people are enjoying themselves and it's fun. You know, we've earned this. It was a horrible year being not allowed into Wrigley Field last year is something I hope we never experience again in our lives. So it just feels like it's a very celebratory nature. People are getting vaccinated. They're getting back to their day-to-day. -day, 
and they want to be social again around other people. Taking the train down, all of it, it's been a fun, energetic, exciting thing. And we're not even 100% yet. Wrigley Field's going to be full the next time the Cubs come home, and that's going to be very, very fun to see. I know Jeremy's going, oh, I will see about that, but the state's opening up. Lori, there's too much money at stake here for both the Cubs and the White Sox. They're going to make it work with the mayor's office, and I do think Wrigley Field will be 100% capacity when they return home, and it's time now. Right. It's time. People have plenty of opportunities to do what they need to do to be able to enjoy those experiences. And I think it's going to be a fun summer because this is a team that's suddenly playing really good baseball and a fan base that just wants to get back in the ballpark and have a good time. And that's what it's been. You've been seeing a lot of videos on Twitter and Instagram of brawls breaking out at baseball parks across the United States. It was a festive environment at Wrigley Field these last couple of games and people really enjoying it. And it's fun to see it. It's fun to see Wrigleyville packed again. And the only exception would be there's like one assigned cop every single day right out in front of the marquee with an assault rifle. And he stands out in front of the ballpark just making sure nothing happens. But it's interesting because you've got thousands of impaired people pouring out into the street. Everybody's celebrating and having a good time. And you got that one cop (laughs) with a big gun there just making sure nobody gets out of line. That dude, that dude's got amazing trigger control because he's got that thing and he's with his finger and it's like, I, when I walked by it the first, I was like, okay, this is a little serious. Like why he got like this huge uh, rifle, but uh, you know, it also helps a little bit when the Cubs are winning. Uh, there's kind of, you know, uh, I think Wilson talked about it a little bit, maybe a, a symbiotic relationship there where the Cubs play better when the fans you know, get into it and the fans are into it more when the Cubs are playing better. So who knows, chicken or egg. But uh, it, it's nice. The, the whole thing, as you mentioned, very celebratory. I, I've i seen the videos of other stadiums. I've watched games and it's like in the middle of the game, the whole crowd's like looking at something. And I'm like, what, the, what is going yeah. on here? And then after the game, I see some video posted about some brawl in the, in the stands, you know, uh, in an Astros game, in a Rockies game, uh, you know. So, but it, it's been very festive. I'm very hopeful that June 11th comes. We'll be 100% at Wrigley yeah. Field. I'll be back out in the bleachers, hopefully, because we'll all be in regular times. And it, it'll be a great, hopefully a great summer. I feel like we're two weeks away from having a great summer. The Cubs can get through this stretch or, you know, and then we'll be in the pennant race. We're not going to sell almost. We're going to be really going for it. You know, one, one thing, though, I feel like fans – might need a little bit of re-education on how to act. In the NBA, you've had a lot of incidents, fans throwing things at players. Just today at Wrigley, somebody ran on the field holding a, uh, a, a, a faith-based sign, we'll say. Jesus so there's one thing. Yeah, Jesus is Lord. So, so maybe, maybe a little bit of remedial training on how best to act now that we are back in sporting venues. But you know, hopefully, hopefully nobody does anything really stupid with one of these, but yeah, it's great to see fans back in, in ballparks around the country. Totally. Totally. And um, it, it, the NBA thing is very, very weird and I don't get it. I just don't understand the NBA. The NBA lost me a long time ago. So I don't know why people feel the need to throw bottles of water and things at players. It's out of control, um, but it was a festive environment. I'm going to say something here, Randall, though, that may trigger you. I'm going to compliment Chicago White Sox fans. Because I think the broader point I want to make here just about the fans at Wrigley, I think it's a Chicago thing as much as anything as well. I've watched a lot of the White Sox. They've got a very exciting team. They're not filling up Sox Park because they haven't been able to, but the fans that have been going to Sox games have been into it, loud, cheering, paying attention to what's going on. 
it's a Chicago cultural thing, I think, as much as anything. I see a lot of baseball games in Denver. They were sixth in attendance in 2019 before the pandemic. So you can't say the Rockies don't draw. The thing is, though, they're not paying attention to anything that's going on. It's more like a social thing where you go, you have a couple beers, and there's kind of a baseball game going on in the background. It's not the case here in Chicago. And for the White Sox, that's a fan base that that team has not been relevant for the last 12 years. So good for them that they can go out and celebrate and enjoy it. But I think it speaks good things to our city. We've got two major league baseball teams here. That's something to be proud of. And both fan bases are showing up excited for baseball. And that's a lot of fun to see. Well, if Tony La Russa were managing my favorite team, I wouldn't be able to take my eyes off the field either. Well, they got some wins right now, Randall. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's some good things happening down there. Uh, I do want to correct myself a little bit. I think I said trigger control. I meant to say trigger discipline. Those are two different things. Mm -hmm. So I know all the gun nuts listening out there are going to write angry (laughs) emails at me for confusing. That's Randall's fan base, those guys. Yeah, do we we have a a lot of gun nuts who listen to us? I don't know, but I'm just saying it's been a little while since I went shooting. So I want to make sure those people probably, well, they're gun nuts, so I want to make sure I get the right terminology. Randall, I got a question for you. Uh, you know, one of the things that we've been talking about up to this point is kind of the unsung heroes, maybe this year for the Cubs, the Patrick Wisdoms coming up, Keegan Thompson in the bullpen, uh, Cole Stewart coming up and having a wonderful performance under the big spotlight on uh, the holiday at Wrigley. Of all of these guys who've contributed to the team this year, what story do you like best? Like what player kind of are you maybe pulling for the most out of these guys that have come up and contributed to the team? You know, I'm, I'm looking other at this, than Sogard, other, other than Sogard, of course, other than well, Sogard, Sogard MVP and Dan of, Weekler, of course, Young. of course, because he's such a great story. You know, Ronan, I'm looking at this list of players we have here to have come up and played key roles amidst the injuries, and I'm having trouble picking one. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to pick one. I'll leave the others for you guys. I'm going to go with Tommy Nance, a guy who's had a long journey to the major leagues, pitching an independent ball. Ronan, you're our our. Uh, our, our, our independent ball source, having called games as you once did for the Rockford Riverhawks. Mm-hmm. You know, he's 30 years old. He pitched for the independent Windy City Thunderbolts. And here he is at Wrigley Field throwing 97 miles an hour with wicked movement. That pitch he ended the game on on Monday was just ridiculous. One of those pitches, you're not sure if it's a, a, a four-seamer with great movement or just a two-seamer at 97. So I'll, I'll pick him out of this list of players to have – gone on the journey he did injury independent ball and now at Wrigley throwing pellets out there I'll take Tommy Nance as as a great story to have contributed to the Cubs this year yeah I definitely know what you were talking about there Randall that front door two-seamer he threw uh was pretty nasty it was definitely a two-seamer and it was super one of the nastiest two-seamers just a wicked pitch I've ever seen and it's almost I'm almost skeptical of it I'm like what is Tommy Nance one of these guys that's putting something on there because I can't believe He's coming out of nowhere and throwing that pitch. It was crazy. But, uh, you know, it's not a wisdom, obviously, has been huge for the Cubs, just hitting everything hard. It's hard to pick a guy who's coming out of nowhere, you know, and, and really contributing. I was a big fan of Justin Steele. I, I would really like him to get back and healthy. But I think he's made huge contributions. And I, I, I would really, I'd almost like to see him start. Mm hmm. Well, it's been fun. I I probably would go with wisdom just because I love the story there. Uh, A lot of home runs in the minor leagues, not a lot of opportunities in the majors. You give him a chance and he makes the most of it. And you just get the feeling watching him right now. He's having the time of his life and rightfully so just enjoy it. That's the, probably the best advice any player could give him right now. Enjoy it, let it ride. And let's see what happens here. You have an opportunity to do something very special with a team and a fan base 
that will take care of you if you do special things here. So just enjoy it. And I, I hope he is, uh, you know, taking it in because it's got to be very, very special to be going from playing in Des Moines and no knock Randall on your favorite city in Iowa where the S's are silent, but everybody's city, having a good time. The city is buzzing. <laughs> yeah. The city's buzzing, but the S's are silent, but to go from Des Moines to Wrigley field, rowdy crowd, people into it and knocking the ball out towards Waveland. Uh, that's gotta be one of the most satisfying feelings in the world. So good for him. I'll go with wisdom. And I want to see him crush the Cardinals. I think that'd be a lot of fun. The Cubs will get an opportunity to play St. Louis here in a couple of weeks. Uh, but next up for the Cubs is a trip to California. And again, two of the best teams in the National League they're going to face. The San Francisco Giants, who are surprising a lot of people right now. The best record in the National League at 34-21. and 21. The Cubs will have four games in St. Louis starting tomorrow night. The Cubs will have Davies, Arietta, Cole Stewart, and Kyle Hendricks on the mound. And uh, Randall, interesting ballpark there in San Francisco. Certainly one of the most beautiful parks in baseball, but a park that if you don't score early, it gets real tough there when the sun goes down to get some offense going. So something to maybe keep an eye out for as the Cubs head to the Bay. Absolutely. Uh, San Francisco, one of the most picturesque ballparks in the league. Every camera shot is great, especially with the water out there. But uh, as you said, offense can be a little difficult to come by sometimes, especially if you're a hitter who likes to go to the alleys or likes to go to dead center. Um, so hopefully, and the Giants are throwing an excellent and surprising pitching staff out there. All of these starting pitchers that the Cubs are due to face are having pretty good seasons so far. Uh, so as you said, hopefully the Cubs can score early. Hopefully the starting pitching can hold up and just keep doing what you're doing. Score and make the leads hold up. And it's going to be another great benchmark series facing off against another uh, top team in the NL. And you're going to be facing, I think, more difficult starting pitching than you encountered on this homestand at Wrigley. So it'll be another great test. And hopefully the bats are up to the challenge. Giants, you know, team that's kind of come out of nowhere, playing very well. You're getting a lot of, I mean, I, I wasn't super familiar with them almost because I've been like trying to follow the Giants, but they've just been playing so well. Uh, and you're, it seems like you're getting like, you have like five different guys on the Giants could be the comeback player of the year. You know, Buster Posey sat out last year. He's having a monster season. One of the best of career. I love Buster Posey. Always been a big yep. Brandon Crawford has struggled the last few years. He's having a monster year. Evan Longoria had a couple of struggling years since, you know, even the end of Tampa being traded over there. I've, I've been a big Evan Longoria fan too. And he's having a monster year. You got little Yaz, little Yaz came up. He's hitting you know, since he came up the last couple of years, he's been one of the best hitters they've had. And, you know, it's taken him a while, uh, you know, 28. And they got a guy out there who I know Ronan's very familiar with, a, Hugh, a Hoosier who's not really hitting too much, but Alex Dickerson. Yeah. Um, so it'll be an interesting series, uh, you know, because the Giants have been kind of coming out of nowhere to be a team. Uh, I don't know if I'm ready to buy in yet, but then again, you know, the Cubs are kind of like that team as well. Yeah. So who knows if a lot of people are really ready to buy into the Cubs. So we'll see how they do. Uh, I don't think they get Gossman uh, this series. Oh, they do get Gossman? Okay, now uh, I'm yes. wrong. The, the pitching matchups for this series, great time to throw them in. Game one, we get Davies versus Anthony Desclafani, the former Cincinnati Red. Game two, we get Jake Arrieta versus Logan Webb. Game three, Cole Stewart versus Kevin Gossman. And then game four, Kyle Hendricks versus Johnny Cueto. Johnny Cueto always brings back memories of yeah. game one of the 2016 Hobby. NLDS. That's right. So those are the pitching matchups for the upcoming series at San Francisco. So you will get just about a full turn 
through this surprising uh, Giants rotation. Jeremy, you you said it, that they kind of came out of nowhere. We're all focusing on the Dodgers and the Padres going back and forth. And then you look at that NL West, and there are the Giants in first place by a game with the Padres in second and the Dodgers in third. So they really have come out of nowhere. And again, it's I'm almost looking forward to the series. You know, I feel like anecdotally the Cubs never really play well on these West Coast swings. You you encounter some very big and very interesting ballparks in San Francisco and San Diego and Colorado and Arizona, but you know, the Cubs are hot right now. The giants are hot right now. It's two very good teams facing up, uh, facing off against one another. So we'll see where it goes. Yeah. And uh, just going back to what I was saying a little bit before Randall, helpfully, very helpfully gave us the uh, pitching. So I, so I know who to talk about, but uh, Kevin Gossman, I, I, you know, always been kind of a guy I thought that the Cubs should be interested in. I think they have been interested in the past, but I was hopeful they would, you know, bring him in. And he's really kind of turned it up. Uh, you know, a Colorado guy, I believe uh, they're Ronan, uh, went to LSU. But, uh, you know, so Kevin Gossman, I, I would like – I'm going to be interested to see when the Cubs face him. Uh, he's got like a one four five ERA right now, so he's really tearing it up. Uh, but uh, as Randall said, their pitching staff has been legit. Randall, and I got guys a question. That, oh, sorry. Yeah, Randall, I got a question for you. Very, very important question, too. Uh, so important, it's worth interrupting Jeremy to ask. Who would win a pantsless, bare-knuckle brawl? Clark the Cub or Lou Seal, the Giants mascot? Ronan, that is an excellent question, and I think it depends a lot on where the fight is taking place. Like, are you firmly in water? Are you maybe on the beach where the fight could migrate in either direction or are you firmly on land i think on land clark the cub being a bear and a land animal probably has the advantage over a seal i think in the water clark would have a lot of trouble and i think lucille could uh literally literally and figuratively just kind of swim rings around him until clark tires and sinks down to the inky depths below so as long as let's say they're doing this in the ballpark which is on the water but not in the water I'm going to take Clark the Cub, but Lucille is is crafty. He's he's a veteran mascot. I think he's got a lot of tricks up his his sleeve. Um, you know, he's got flippers instead of feet, I think. So that I think would be a little bit of an advantage for Clark. I'm going to take Clark in a real close match here, but I'd like to see that happen someday. Randall saying Lucille is giving me hard arrested development flashbacks. Oh, so yeah, any arrested fans out there. You know, if you're wondering too, like Ronan, why why the emphasis on the pantsless? Uh, look them up. Look at pictures of both Lucille and Clark the Cub. Jeremy, how do you feel about these pantsless mascots all across Major League Baseball? I uh, it's it, I don't quite understand it. And here's here's where I'm going to go with this. And it's kind of you know a whole thing, but like when you see, I, I go to bear, a lot of Bears games. You see Staley the Bear, and he's pantsless. He's usually only wearing a jersey. Some, but sometimes he's got pants on. There's a certain costume. But then they'll do like an act or something where he's like only wearing a towel or something. Why? What's he covering up? What's he covering up if he's able to go pantsless? So like, what's going on there? So I, I don't really get it. I think, uh, you know, it'd be nice to see some pants on these animals. Uh, there was a, uh, you know, I think Comcast and um, Sportsnet in Washington, D.C. when the Cubs uh, first announced Clark, they had a little bit of an issue uh, with what image they selected from the Internet to put on the broadcast so you can Google that if you want, but uh, you know, it'll be, I just can't get over these pantsless guys, but in a, in a fight, you know, I, I, I'd probably go with the water animal if we're on like a war for something like Randall said, you know, out there in San Francisco, but you come into the bear's den. I, I don't think you're going to get out of it. 
But, you know, a cub, Clark the Cub, he's only a baby. Right? That, that's true. That's true. And again, Lucille's been around a while. Jeremy, you say Worf, and I just have to say Worf, son of Moog. So hopefully somebody out, there, well. somebody out there gets that. I, somebody right here gets that. I can tell you that much. And shockingly, I, I also get that one. I don't know if I'm proud of that, but I do get that one. Jeremy, you're a well-traveled individual. You've been all over and uh, you've been to the ballpark in San Francisco, right? What did you think of your experiences yeah, out I, there? A long time ago, only one time I've been there, but I was there in the Barry Bonds era. So that's cool. how long ago it was. I want to say it was like, Oh, it might even been a three. It was a game against the Padres, and they walked Bonds like four times. <laughs> That's how it was. So I didn't really get to see. But my experience there was uh, it was pretty nice. I, I have some memories up there. I remember everything's named after Willie Mays. Yes. <laughs> Number 24, this, or Willie Mays, that. Uh, I think it's cool. You got the huge scoreboard in center field. You got, you know, right field with the big wall and out into the bay. And then left field, you got the Coke can. You got the glove. I've always wanted to see somebody hit into that glove, but that'd be a monster shot, but you never know. Um, but Patrick uh, Wisdom. A, a, don't, yeah. don't forget the cars on the outfield wall. I think somebody, somebody on the Chip. Cubs was playing, playing outfield and whoever was on the call at the time said, watch out in traffic out there as you're, oh, yeah. as you're trying to catch the fly ball. That always sticks with me. And I have some memories, not just of being there, but some memories of some games out there. You know, one very, very vivid memory I have is a Mike Fontenot home run just down the right field line, just an absolutely crushed ball and a uh, game winning home run, I believe. So I, there's some good memories and bad memories, but one, I always enjoy the West coast trip. I like having Cubs yeah. baseball at like 9 PM. Totally. Totally. And San Francisco, I've got a lot of fond memories of the place. It's an incredible part of the country uh, visually as well. They did a fantastic job with that ballpark. I've been fortunate to see multiple games there over the years. Um, as a kid, though, San Francisco was always interesting to me because here we are in the Midwest. It's like, wow, the Cubs don't start tonight until 9.05 or 9.10 is first pitch. That's kind of exotic. But then it's the middle of June or July. They're playing at the old ballpark in San Francisco. Everybody's wearing winter coats. It's like, what the hell's going on out there? It was always interesting to me. Like when the Cubs would go west back in the 90s, Chavez Ravine was kind of the old classic ballpark. Then you had Qualicom for the Padres and the Giants ballpark. It was just an interesting place to see games being played at 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night. That left an impact on me as a kid. And, and I think I've always had a soft spot for the Giants. They're a classic team. They've got amazing history. Now they've got a beautiful ballpark, strong fan base. They're just a team that when I'm in Denver, I make a point every year to see the Giants at least once or twice. Old school baseball, good to see it. And I'm, I'm excited for Cubs-Giants baseball. It's fun to see two old school teams playing each other in such a beautiful setting. Some of us remember Jack Murphy Stadium. Yeah, Prior totally. to Qualcomm. Yeah, <laughs> Jack Murphy, which I always thought was cool because they had the little uh, palm trees mm-hmm. like in the outfield. So but I agree with you, uh, that West Coast trip and, and, you know, all the jackets in midsummer has always been a thing in San Francisco. Nobody, you know, you'll go there and they'll, everybody will tell you the same Mark Twain quote. You don't have to he- you hear it from 100 different people when you're out there, but everybody's up there in a in a, in a sweater. Uh, and so that was a little surprising to me when I first went there. Um, but uh, it should be a fun time, I think. What's the quote? Oh, there's Rao. You've been to San Francisco. You've never heard the Mark Twain quote about how well, the coldest summer I ever, or was the coldest winter I've ever spent was a summer in San Francisco. I've heard it a thousand times. Awesome. 
Awesome. Well, Randall, uh, perfect segue. I'd say uh, our buddies at Cubs Weather got us a forecast here for the Giants series and next week in San Diego. Take that away, Randall. Well, Ronan, they don't call you and Jeremy the masters of the segue for nothing. Perfect indeed. Uh, again, our usual weather segment, courtesy of at Alexander Hall of at Cubs Weather. And he tells us the series vibe in San Francisco will be quintessential San Francisco in June. Cool, comfortable marine air, breezy and no rain issues. These forecasts are so perfect that they actually repeat night after night. Uh, so for Thursday and Friday, you can expect if you're going out to one of these games, and if you are lucky you, weather in the mid 50s, uh, nice breeze, 10 to 20 miles per hour out to left and left center. And again, that's for both Thursday and Friday. And then for Saturday and Sunday, you can expect temperatures in the low 60s. It'll be sunny, breeze out to left field at about 10 to 15 miles per hour. So sounds absolutely perfect to catch some ball games out by the bay in San Francisco. Moving down the state to San Diego, the series vibe, Alex tells us is the greatest climate in the world showing off glittering Southern California vibes. For the Monday night start, and again, that'll be another late game for those of us here in the Midwest, temperatures in the mid to upper 60s, a light breeze to right to, to right field. Uh, the same weather for Tuesday, again, mid to upper 60s with a light breeze out to right field. And then finally, uh, on Wednesday, the day game out in San Diego, temperatures in the low 70s, and again, a light breeze out to right field. And he also notes that in San Diego, we should expect the famous marine layer. So it'll mm. be uh, a bit of a, a marine overcast during the day. But as we get into the evening, the marine layer breaks and we get plenty of afternoon and evening sunshine out in San Diego. Sounds like positively wonderful weather. And Ronan, yeah. you noted um, the, uh, the the Cubs going out to the West Coast and that how, stri how that strikes a chord with you. Uh, we haven't had the, the West yeah. Coast night game for those of us in the Midwest in two seasons now. You know, there hasn't been a whole lot of 9, 10 Central, times central Time starts uh, since before the pandemic. So that will be uh, fun, quote unquote, to reintroduce to our lives, those of us who have to be up for work the next morning. Uh, but before I forget, of course, thanks again, as always, to Alexander Hall and the people at Cubs Weather. You can find him on Twitter at Alexander Hall, and you can find them on Twitter at Cubs Weather. Give him and them a follow for lots of uh, more great weather insight like this, both when the Cubs are home and when the Cubs are on the road. Dad, that really was good stuff. Good. I did joke to uh, Ronan last night on the way home from the ballpark when we were discussing uh, doing this podcast today. I was like, you know, no offense to Alex, and I love his weather updates, but even like you and I could probably tell you what the weather is going to be for these next six, seven games out in San Francisco and San Diego because of how San Francisco and San Diego are almost so predictable in weather. Randall, I got a question for you, too, before we get into Sammy trivia here. Do you remember your first beer or like your first drink i do is that yes. a distinct memory for you where, where was it or what what I was, was it? i was in a restaurant and i had uh i don't think it was a beer and not not a huge beer drinker it was probably like a hard cider mm. thinking about it but i remember it distinctly there was nothing uh, particularly noteworthy about it other than the fact that it was my first drink uh so yes i do remember that yeah J jeremy do you recall your first drink uh not really specifically, I would I would necessarily say. Um, I'm trying to think <laughs> uh, of like actually having like a first drink or like you know tasting something. I don't know. Um, well, like your like your first proper beer, your first proper Jack and Coke. Right. I'm just trying to think. I don't. I I, I 
I don't actually have a specific memory of my first like drink. <laughs> okay. Oh no, interesting. I, I mean, because... I have specific of early drinking. I have specific memories, I guess, but not of like the first actual one. I was one not. Sure, sure. Because you know, for a lot of folks, it's a defining moment. It's one of those things that you look back and you reference. And uh, as we segue out of San Francisco, my first edible happened in San Francisco on a January night. And that was the night, Jeremy, I learned that San Francisco is close to the moon. Good night in San Francisco. Awesome fun at the Fillmore. Uh, but it's one of those things. I'll never forget that. And that's something I got pride in that now. Like first time in San Francisco, that's the way to do it. And led to a, a very good weekend there in the Bay. <laughs> yes. Uh, I don't know what how to respond to that. So I'm I'm gonna speak because I know Randall is speechless. As I well. hope I hope you had a good trip to the moon that weekend, Ron, and I hope the moon treated you well. <laughs> Got some of that moon money while I was up there. Uh, no so speaking deal, of McCutcheon. moon money, we've got some trivia coming up for you. This is our 21st episode of Behind the Yellow Line, so I wanted to tip the cap here to Sammy Sosa, and I've got three questions for you, Jeremy and Randall. A little bit of backstory on Sammy, one of my all-time favorite players in 18 year. Big league career, hit 273, 344, OPS just under 900 with 609 career home runs in a career that spanned from 1989 to 2007. Uh, in that career was a member of the Texas Rangers, the Chicago White Sox, the Chicago Cubs, of course, a year in Baltimore, and then brought his career full circle, finishing in 2007 with the Texas Rangers. A couple of highlights for Sammy, MVP in 1998, the only player to have three plus 60 home run seasons. So many great memories of everything that Sammy did on the field. And I got a couple of trivia questions for you all here. So let's get started with the first one. Uh, a two-part question, I guess. How many times did Sammy Sosa lead the uh, sorry lead the league in home runs, and how many times did Sammy Sosa lead the league in strikeouts? So how many All times right. did Sammy Sosa lead the league in home runs and strikeouts, uh, separate, like not separate. both in the same year? Right. Yeah, Jeremy, okay. uh, take a stab at it first. So home runs, I'm going to say once. Strikeouts, I'm going to say I'm going to think. I have to like think about this. Strikeouts, I, I'm going to guess it was kind of a decent amount. So this is just a guess. I'm going to say seven times. Okay. Randall, what do you think? I am going to go uh, one time leading the league in home runs. And I'm going to go, I'm going to go one fewer. I'm going to go six times leading the league in strikeouts for Sammy Sosa. Okay. Interesting guesses here. So let's start with home runs. Sammy Sosa led the league in home runs in his career twice, but interestingly enough, it came in none of the years that he hit more than 60 home runs. So Sammy hit 66 home runs in 1998, 63 home runs in 99, 64 home runs in 2001. In none of those years, he led the league in home runs. McGuire, the first two years, Bonds hit 73 in 2001. Sammy led the league in home runs in 2000 with 50 and in 2002 with 49. So pretty interesting mm -hmm. to see Sammy with two of those for strikeouts. Three times in his career, he led the league in strikeouts, 1997, 1998, and 1999, 174 strikeouts in 97, 171 strikeouts each in 1998 and 1999. So a lot of power, a lot of strikeouts. That's what Sammy did. But I thought it was very interesting. You hit 60 home runs three times. It's never good enough to lead the league in homers. What a weird time that was for Major League Baseball. Yeah, I knew that stat of he never led it when he hit 60. 
I did not recall the 2002 leading with 49. I remember the 2000, like I thought your question would be, when did he lead the, and how many did he hit? And I was going to be like, oh, it was 2000 with 50. I knew that. Yeah. But I, 2002, he led with 49. I, that slipped out of my mind. Well, we'll stay with home runs here for the second question. Uh, would have been too easy, I think, to ask who was Sammy's first career home run off of. That came off Roger Clemens at Fenway Park in 1989 when he was a member of the Texas Rangers. My question to you both, Randall, you can go first this time. Who was the opponent and starting pitcher, if you can name it, for Sammy Sosa's final career home run, number 609? Yeah, boy, that's a great question. I know who it was against for number 600 because, of course, it was against the Cubs off of Jason Marquis wearing his number 21. Yeah. For yeah, the, the game, the game finds you sometimes for his <laughs> final home run. So it probably an AL team, given he was with Texas. Uh, I feel like I have a good, good shot mathematically here. If I pick an AL West team from that time, I am going to guess the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Were they the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim yet? Or were they still yes. the Anaheim Angels? Mm -hmm. Nope. Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Okay. So I'm going to guess the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim for Sammy's uh, final home run. What do you think, Jeremy? I was thinking similarly to Randall. I, I, I don't know. I have no idea. Um, I was also thinking it's probably an AL West team. So I was going to guess the Seattle Mariners. Okay. Uh, you are right, Randall. It was Ooh. the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. The pitcher was you with a U, Randall. You with a U. Joe Saunders. Not Sanders, Ooh. but Joe Saunders, the starting pitcher in that game, as Sammy knocked the ball out of the park. It was his 21st home run of that season. Ironically enough, the 609th and final home run in his career. A quick bonus question to go along with it. Pitching in that game for Texas, he wasn't the starter, but he pitched in relief was a guy who became a part of Chicago Cubs lore, a pitcher. Any idea who it was? He was a relief pitcher in that game, although we would probably think of him as a starter, ended up being a part of Chicago Cubs lore. Boy, this is a great question. So who would have been, who would have been pitching for the Texas Rangers in 2007? You said he would have been pitching in relief, mm -hmm. but we would have thought of him as more of a starter. And we don't really think of him as a Cub don't really think of him as a cub wow there's a lot of layers to this question jeremy jeremy you have any guesses as i'm trying to talk through this well I'm, i i don't have any guesses right now because i was listening to what he was saying um just trying to think of it i mean i could i could i could try we don't think of him as cub he was a reliever relief but uh for texas but we might think of him as a starter uh i'm trying to think uh who like, uh, I'm trying to figure out where he's going with this. Uh, he's more known for who came back. Okay. So, like a trade. Yes, when the Cubs traded him. Mm, when the Cubs traded him. To an American League East team for a Cy Young winner and one of the best relief pitchers in Cubs history. Pedro Strope. Okay, yeah, I was going to say that. Pedro Strope for, Scott for Texas. Scott Feldman. Scott Feldman. Yeah, pitched no, in that right. game for the Texas Rangers. So in relief, um, one other little bonus on this one, the starting pitcher for, uh, sorry, the starting outfielder, a starting outfielder for Anaheim that day, who ended up getting injured on a defensive play, actually never got a plate appearance in the game, was someone who was a Cubs teammate of Sammy Sosa in 2000 and 2001. Any guesses who that starting center fielder for Anaheim was that day, even though he didn't get in at bat? Son the of Cubs a Cubs legend. 
Uh, that would be uh, Gary Matthews Jr. Yeah, I was going to say Gary Matthews. Gary um, Matthews Jr. I was looking you at the said, box score. When you said we don't think of a club, I was I was thinking of people that the Cubs faced. So I wasn't really, you know, somebody they beat up on in a big game. Sure. But I think, you know, when you hear the name Scott Feldman, Scott Jake, Feldman, yeah. Strobe, that's what comes to mind. I was looking yeah. at the box score going, are there any other connections on this game here? Uh, the two other Cubs that appeared in that game, Scott Feldman in relief, and then Gary Matthews Jr., who left with the injury. Um, Gary Matthews Jr., a Sammy teammate in 2000 and 2001. So good stuff there, kind of deep, some names that you probably haven't thought of in a while. Final trivia question here, not so much about Sammy's bat, uh, but Jeremy, I'll let you go first. How many 30-plus stolen base seasons did Sammy Sosa have? I'm going to guess three. Randall, what do you think? I am also going to guess three. Uh, Sammy, a guy who actually ran quite a bit when he was younger. Pat Hughes taught me that. Uh, me not really knowing much about Sammy before 1998. Pat Hughes told me, yeah, Sammy Sosa, a guy who ran quite a bit in his youth. So I'm going to guess three along with Jeremy. Well, you're both right on the money. Sammy with three 30-plus stolen base seasons, 32 stolen bases back in 1990. Then in 1993, had the first 30-30 season, 33 home runs, 36 stolen bases. 1995, his first year as a Major League All-Star, he hit 36 home runs and stole 34 bases. He would have also gotten the 30 stolen bases in 1994 had the season not been cut short. In just 105 games, he stole... Randall J. Sanders bases, 22 bases that season for the Cubs uh, en route to, though, a very nice career with the Chicago Cubs. All those all-star appearances, all the home runs that came after it. Um, always good, though, to see Sammy Sosa doing good things on the field. A uh, little bonus thing I would just want to throw out to you, not a question here. Something I saw today, though, and it makes perfect sense, but bring the White Sox back into this for a moment. Sammy Sosa was the starting right fielder for the Chicago White Sox on the last game at Old Comiskey Park and the starting right fielder for the Chicago White Sox in the first game in New Comiskey Park. So pretty cool stuff there. He's been a big part of Chicago baseball history, and we've talked about this a lot. Long overdue to get Slam and Sammy back at Wrigley Field, and uh, fingers crossed that that's going to happen because it's a stain on a wonderful organization that Sammy Sosa is not a part of the team anymore. His name's on the bricks outside. His, you know, they show him on the board. They show him on marquee. It's it's really ridiculous that he's not back, and they won't let him back. Yeah, and it's it's the smugness I think from Tom Ricketts that really pisses me off on that. Uh, basically, mm -hmm. where Tom Ricketts is at right now is he's made it very publicly known that he needs Sammy Sosa, or he's demanding that Sammy Sosa quote come clean or come totally honest about performance enhancing use back in the 90s and early 2000s and I think that's an unacceptable ask of an owner who had absolutely nothing to do with what was going on back then what bothers me most about it too and what I would hope Tom Ricketts would wrap his head around is what Sammy Sosa means to the fan base particularly a generation of Cubs fans and that's our generation of Cubs fans Sammy Sosa is undoubtedly one of the reasons why I am the Cubs fan that I am today, I was sitting in the ballpark these last couple of days just thinking about what it was like when Sammy was launching the ball out on a wavelength, the sound that it made, the velocity at which it flew out. I wish we had exit velo back then. It was an incredible thing to see. And for him not to be a part of the World Series parade and all that celebration, it's a stain and it's something that they got to get past. I want to see Sammy back at Wrigley. I know I've said this before. The day that it's Sammy Sosa Day at Wrigley, I'm getting on a plane. I don't care what I have to pay to fly back here. 
what we have to pay Jeremy to get in that ballpark. We are going to be there to see Sammy Sosa on Sammy Sosa Day. I just hope it happens here soon because it's it's horrible that he's not a part of this organization, especially with what he meant in the late 90s and early 2000s, really making Wrigley feel the destination again. It wasn't always that way in the 80s and even the early 90s. And what Sammy did in the late 90s really put Wrigley Field back on the map. And he deserves to be treated like a hero, I think, with the organization. Yeah, you know, I, I, as I've said before, I agree, and I agree with you. I mean, Sammy Sosa owes Tom Ricketts nothing, in my opinion. I don't know where Tom Ricketts, you know, gets off on uh, thinking that he's owed something uh, from Sammy Sosa, something that, first of all, it's not like there's any sort of definitive proof or anything that Sammy, especially in comparison to what a lot of other guys, mm-hmm. you ha- they have on him. Um, and, you know, the whole league, it, it, the league was turning a blind eye to it. Who knows how many, who was doing what, when. They were doing it. We're pretty much going through the same thing. You want to argue with, uh, with this pitch doctor, with uh, you know, pitchers right now, uh, doctoring the ball. But uh, so, in my opinion, you see what the Giants have always accepted Barry Bonds for the most part, and he's never really said anything. Uh, the Cardinals came back. They accepted Mark McGuire. Mark McGuire did apologize, but he's been in baseball with the Dodgers. Uh, you know, and you, you look at the Reds. Uh, Pete Rose has like pretty much never said anything. Then he did say stuff just to sell his own book, you know. Uh, and what I think Pete Rose did was worse than anything any of these guys are doing. Um, so, and he's accepted by the Reds, like not he's in their Hall of Fame. They bring it back. So, uh, Tom Ricketts wasn't there. Tom Ricketts bought the team, you know, years after Sammy was even on the club. So, even the players, even Kerry Wood says Sammy should be back. So, I, I think it's ridiculous to not have Sammy as involved in the Cubs you know the the strangest thing to me is is Ronan as you said as much as Tom Ricketts bills himself as this self-made Cubs fan met his wife in the bleachers so on so forth it's and as much as he loves money as you know we've discussed plenty of times that's two reasons why it's odd that Tom Ricketts takes this this gatekeeping stance to Sammy Sosa that you'd think claiming to be the the Cubs fan that he is you'd think he'd know what it would mean to have Sammy back in the ballpark for a day and he's probably turning down a little bit of money on the you know as the owner of the Cubs by not doing that because that's going to be a really hot ticket the day that they do finally get around to that so it, it is confusing why the ownership refuses to let Sammy back in the ballpark without a, a quote-unquote apology mm-hmm. uh, yeah I, I don't understand it at all hopefully that's uh a head up an ass that'll get sorted out yeah. sooner versus later. Well, the, the hypocrisy of it too, that you're taking the stance like, Oh, he cheated. He did the wrong thing. And therefore he can't be around like your loser brother can't even pay taxes properly on the houses he's living in. He's lying to the state about the size of his house so that he can pay lower taxes. Like they're the last people that should be lecturing anybody on things like integrity. So let's get Sammy Sosa back out to Wrigley field. Let's make it happen soon. I'll say this though. Sammy's going to be like, what the hell happened to this place? The last time he saw Wrigley Field, it did not look like what it looks like now. So it would be interesting to see from Sammy's perspective. Like, Randall, imagine how different the home clubhouse is for Sammy Sosa from what he had there in the early to mid-2000s to what it looks like now. He's going to be like, where the hell was this 20 years ago? Yeah, much much made about the the player facilities at Wrigley prior to the extensive renovation. You know, he's going to he's going to find like a side weight room and say, this is as big as our entire clubhouse was. But we're all ready for it. 
the visitors. I, I want to get some visitors from back in the day in there because the visitors locker room has to be much, much, much improved yeah. over what it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago or even longer. Totally. Totally long considered the worst road clubhouse in baseball, but the ballpark uh, is got new life and, and really, uh, I had a unique opportunity here over the last week, sat in the lower deck with my dad on Friday. Jeremy, you and I were in some of the best seats in the house on Saturday and Tuesday, 313, just to the left of the press box, front section of the upper deck. I, I was taking it in last night, Jeremy. We got into the ballpark, the sun setting behind us, just a picturesque night in terms of weather and everything. Great crowd in there. We're sitting there. You've got all of the, the green grass, the green ivy, the brown dirt, all the colors in the crowd with the shirts and jerseys people are wearing. Looking out at Lake Michigan, which we could see out beyond the right field fence. It was just perfect. And it's like, this is baseball at its best. This is what I've missed so much. So just a lot of fun there. Um, let's just get Sammy back out at Wrigley and, and bring it back to what it could be. It's going to be a special day. I do think it's going to happen. At some point, he's going to be back at that ballpark. And I'm going to be there because Sammy means the world to me. Certainly helped solidify my fandom. It was just different when you'd go to the ballpark. Kerry Wood was on the mound. Sammy Sosa's launching the ball over the place. And it's something that, yeah, it was a different time. And to people who say, well, he used performance-enhancing drugs, a lot of guys use performance-enhancing drugs. Pitchers were using performance-enhancing drugs. Outfielders and shortstops and second basemen were all using performance-enhancing drugs. One guy hit 60 home runs in three seasons, and that's Sammy Sosa. And he's the Cubs' all-time home run leader as well. So I want to see him back at the ballpark. We'll be ready when that day comes. And we'll talk a lot more about Sammy on Behind the Yellow Line moving forward. I want to tip our cap, though, to another baseball legend, a really a celebratory affair across Major League Baseball today as Major League Baseball celebrated its first Lou Gehrig Day. The patch on the jerseys for the players, huge fundraising efforts, charitable efforts. Really cool sight today, Randall, honoring one of the great all-time players in Lou Gehrig. Absolutely. And of course, Pat Hughes, the, the venerated radio voice for the Cubs, uh, just kept coming back today to how insidious this disease is, how it robs people of their mobility, their ability to speak. It's absolutely terrible. And as you said, this is MLB's first day, day long league wide uh, effort uh, to raise awareness and to raise funds for this. And a lot of uh, a lot of uh, people who are afflicted with this condition were in the ballpark at Wrigley today in ballparks around MLB. And you, you hope that maybe indirectly this leads to down the line treatment or a cure because it is a positively insidious disease. And of course, uh, Boog Siambi on the TV side lost a, a dear friend to the disease uh, some years ago. He's at the forefront of the Cubs efforts to fundraise for this. So uh, a, a great effort by the Cubs and by MLB today to continue raising awareness and funds uh, to combat this. And uh, like you said, great to see. Great player, obviously, maybe the best first baseman ever. I'm sure Randall considers him the best first baseman ever with the other options being like Albert Pujols and Stan Musial. So uh, uh, they have a, uh, a, a, to have a day for him, obviously, is a special day. Um, I think it's interesting, you know, you, they now have lots of different days. They, you have uh, Father's Day where you're doing prostate cancer. You have Mother's Day where you're doing breast cancer, uh, a lot of different diseases. And the Cubs are obviously with uh, Boog getting fully on board with uh, Lou Gehrig uh, Day today, uh, making a special day. But, I, you know, if, if the Cubs want to get on board with something, in my opinion, I think they should get on board with like a Ron Santo Day for juvenile diabetes because I think that would be like a pretty special day for the Cubs 
So I, I think that should be another one that's up there. If we're going to make different days for different diseases and try to raise money, that's just my opinion. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And here's a, a bit of Lou Gehrig trivia for you guys uh, to close out the show today. Do you know why Lou Gehrig wore number four? And I will give you a hint. It is tied to Babe Ruth wearing number batting. three. It's where he bats because of the batting lineup. Jeremy is correct, three. as he Gehrig so often four. is. In their era, the players were assigned jersey numbers based on their batting order. Lou Gehrig no, hit cleanup. No, Ronan, Ronan is shaking his head at me. Ronan, Ronan, it seems like you have a correction to what I thought was an accurate bit of historical trivia. What do you got? Once again, you're both wrong. I'm just answering Randall's question. It was a tribute to Jeff Blauser, who was coming oh. 60 years later. He preternaturally knew. He knew Jeff what was Browser. coming in 60 he years. He knew what was coming. He <laughs> well. said, I need that guy to destroy the Cubs, both on the Cubs and against the Cubs. He hit so well against them that, you know, Ed Lynch is going to sign him in the offseason and then suck. Now we know why he considered himself the luckiest man on the face of the earth, because he right. was able to gaze into the future and see Jeff Blauser just <laughs> to finish the trivia real quick. In that era, players were assigned jersey numbers based on their batting order. Babe Ruth hit third and Lou Gehrig hit right behind him in the cleanup spot number four. And that is the reasoning behind Babe Ruth's iconic number three and Lou Gehrig's jersey number four. That's good stuff, recall, Randall. I don't know if Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth really got along with each other. I'm not, I, I could be making that up, but I feel like Babe Ruth being a gregarious type outgoing type. I don't think that was more Lou Gehrig style. I think they, they were great hitters and not that they hated each other or didn't like each other. They just were never like, you know, close as teammates. That's, that's interesting because they were really good teammates yes. on the field in terms of success. And, you know, Randall, you had a nice tactful tribute to Gehrig there a minute ago, but I got to say, if you existed in 1932, you would have hated Lou Gehrig. Oh, big time. Game three of the World Series, 1932, October 1st at Wrigley Field. Babe Ruth, two home runs off the Cubs. Lou Gehrig, two home runs off the Cubs. Cubs lost that game 7-5. to five. So 1932, Randall J. Sanders hates Lou Gehrig. Guarantee it. I'm sure, 19, I'm sure 1932, Randall J. Sanders was just furious on Twitter when that happened. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, we can big go, time. We can go back and search some of those old tweets from 1932. Yeah, and uh, Luke Garrick, uh, as JD mentioned on the broadcast, and I, I remember reading, I remember reading, a, I think, in a biography of Luke Garrick a long time ago, but uh, at Maple School, where we actually, Ron and I, we had a teacher yeah. who was afflicted with ALS, Mr. Blonde. Lou Blonde. Um, yes, and that was a very sad experience. But uh, I, I, he played in an all-star, in a, in a game, not an all-star game, but the best in New York versus the best of uh, Chicago high schools. Uh, Lane Tech, I forget the school that Lou Gehrig went to in New York, but he hit a ball out when he was 17 years old and at Wrigley Field. And so he knew uh, how to hit there early on. And uh, I actually believe that uh, the former justice, uh, John Paul Stevens, was at a couple of those games, uh, Supreme Court justice. And he, I, I think he claims he saw Babe Ruth call his shot. Well, I don't think that happened, but we're on the same page here with regards to... You're going to doubt a Supreme Court justice? Well, I, we're on the same page about Lou Gehrig. June 19, 1920, that high school All-Star game, Commerce High School was the team out of New York that Gehrig was on. Lane Tech, just a couple blocks from Wrigley Field. They were playing at Cubs Park at the time. That was a game-winning grand slam that Gehrig hit. He was 17 years old, 190 pounds when he launched that ball out. He had a ton of hype around him as a high school baseball player. But it's sort of a prelude into his career, the record-setting 23 grand slams as a Major League Baseball player. And in many ways, it started 
at Cubs Park in that high school game. And it's something that we've talked about a lot about Wrigley Field is think of all the guys over the years who've played on that field. Lou Gehrig, one of them. And that's something not to take for granted every time you walk into that ballpark. It really is a museum. And it's cool that you've got this lineage and this connection back to the days of Lou Gehrig, who then gets honored at the ballpark today. Yeah, we mentioned it with Jackie Robinson. Same yeah. thing. One of the few ballparks are the only ballpark, I believe, left that Jackie Robinson played in. Obviously, Luke Gehrig would have played at Fenway. Um, so a special day, you know, with uh, they had, I'll put, as Randall mentioned, a bunch of ALS guys out there, <laughs> people afflicted with ALS. Um, Steve Gleason being one of them who had a great documentary about him, the former New Orleans mm-hmm. Saints, uh, you know, gunner, defensive back, whatever you want to call him. But the guy almost, you know, had that huge punt in the game that where New Orleans came back or Hurricane Katrina. So that was really cool to see Steve Gleason out there as well. So, you know, as you say, Wrigley Field, it's the crown jewel, as Eddie Vedder would call it. And it's really cool to see how it's lasted this time where we could say we're growing a ballpark that Luke Garrett played in where Babe Ruth said he'd pay half his salary to hit in this dump every year. He called it a dump, (laughs) but he wanted to hit there. Um, So, you know, it's that's just a really cool experience. And as we bring it home tonight, important note, the Cardinals are losing 14-3 to the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Dodgers doing their part in this uh, this arrangement, this matchup of NL Central, NL West teams. So the Cubs look to enter this uh, important West Coast swing a game and a half up in the division. Good stuff. Really, really good to hear that. And uh, back to your point a moment ago, Jeremy, you mentioned Lou Blonde the uh, former shop. He was like the wood shop teacher at our Mm -hmm. junior high. Um, I took his class. I think, I don't know if it was an elective or if everybody took it back in that day, but something that has stuck with me. um, I made a Chicago Cubs logo. It was like a wood block Chicago Cubs logo in Lou Blonde's sixth grade wood shop class at Maple junior high. Something I still have today. Very, very cool. But that one really hit me because he was our wrestling coach and ladies, Believe it or not, I was a wrestler in junior high, had some success on the mat. He was my coach. And to see what that disease did to him in a very quick period of time, it was less than two years from when he was diagnosed and when he passed, that left an impact on me at a a time in my life where something like that would really make an impact on you. So it's something I think about Lou Blonde from time to time and was thinking about him today with Lou Gehrig Day at Wrigley Field. So nice that I've got something that he helped me build that's still in my home. Yeah, and not to just get off of Lou Blonde for a second, but I do want to give, before we go, another shout-out to another Maple Junior High alum who had a big day today in being named the, or not officially, but expected to be named the next head coach of the Duke basketball program, John Shire. How about that? That's a little interesting. So a a few guys out coming out of Maple and making something of themselves. Look what we're doing. We're making a podcast. That's right. That's right. And I got to say – it was Maple's hot right now, and we're talking about it. The other night, uh, the three of us got together. We had a dinner at one of our longtime favorite spots here in Northbrook, uh, the Landmark Inn. And driving over there, Maple's gone. The school oh, yeah. that Jeremy, you and I had that sixth, seventh, eighth grade years at demolished. It's a grass field now. Took my breath away. I didn't realize that that had happened and that they built a completely new junior high about 200 feet behind the old one. But sure enough, that historic place, man, is gone. And it's kind of sad to see that go. It's like they didn't ask me, hey, Ronan, are you ready for us to kind of do this? Do you want a locker? None of that. They just tore it down. And that gym think they... that I pinned multiple sixth graders in, I was in sixth grade, nothing weird there. I pinned them. I beat them in wrestling. That gym is gone. And that should have been the Ronan O'Shea gym. Well, the Ron O'Shea over the John Shire gym or the Jason Kipnis yes, gym? 
Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. The big three of Northbrook, Ronan O'Shea, John Shire, <laughs> and Jason Kipnis, the, the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. Did you pin those two kids? Jason Kipnis pinned me. Jason Kipnis, uh, yeah, he he uh, he was not a fan of my athleticism back in the day. And Shire, the only sort of memory that I have of John Shire is at Glenbrook South. He was at Glenbrook North, their star basketball player. I think it was a year behind us. Um, but we were broadcasting boys basketball games for Glenbrook South. And certainly when they played their rival Glenbrook North, we were on the call. John Shire crushed our high school. We had a pretty decent basketball team in the time we were at Glenbrook South, a uh, competitive team. But when they played Glenbrook North, Shire just sort of, found that next level, which was very good to him at Duke as well, uh, but pretty cool for him, an opportunity to take over for a legend there at Duke. Um, the only thing that's going to be obnoxious, and I, I am not a Duke hater. I love college basketball. I enjoy watching Duke. They've had so much great talent over the years. It's just going to be the everywhere he goes next year is going to be the, oh, it's the last time playing North Carolina, the last time playing this thing. It's going to be oh, that yeah. parade thing, and that is too much. That, yeah, definitely. Uh, it's going to be too much because you, you got Roy Williams who went off and uh, uh, he, uh, Roy Williams, Roy Williams went off uh, this year, not to make this a college basketball podcast, but Roy Williams went off this year and coach K coach K has decided he's going to take a whole victory lap. He's going to take a whole, you know, year from uh, uh, to get what, yeah, to get a whole uh victory lap a year to get all the accolades all the the talk but that's like that's for a college basketball podcast but we'll talk about that later um so i think we're going to wrap it up here hopefully the cubs go on to have a huge uh road trip on san francisco and san diego for uh randall and ronan who's having some technological difficulties you know but uh, i'm jeremy specter and uh we'll wrap it up right here